Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah. I'm the Ministry Assistant at Heritage. And tonight, we continue our series in the Book of Romans, and we will pick up where we left off two weeks ago in Romans chapter 5. If you would like to join in our conversation or if you have questions or would like prayer, we have call screeners standing by, and they can be reached at 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, what a great revival week we had. Was there a highlight or a standout moment for you this week? Well, there were actually a lot, Micah. We had great special music and offertories. Each message was really a blessing and challenge. After one of the message, a couple of the uh, folks in our church said they were just in tears throughout. And just the, the personal fellowship with the evangelist was really a blessing. The faithfulness of our of our church family. You didn't ask for all this, I know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, the faithfulness of our church family. But really. One of the blessings of my heart was how God just put in my heart, one, an outreach to do on that July 9th with our door hangers. So as he was preaching about following Jesus and fishing for men, I just the Lord just put in my heart to go get that box of door hangers and show it to the church and say, we need to put these out into the Fulton housing there in Chelsea. That's one thing. But then also God put it in my heart to to have a midday prayer meeting and, and we're going to start sometime in July once a week to just have a, a prayer meeting and maybe people from where like our office building is or others can come just like to pray at noontime because people are seeing there's something drastically wrong in our country. We've moved mm-hmm. away from God and we need God back into our land. We need to invite him to come down and, and work our great triune God, the Father, Son, and His Holy Spirit. So those are some of the blessings, Amen. Micah. And Micah, you do sound Amen. a little bit distant, so I know you got to come home from Alaska out there. Okay, tell us where yeah. you are. I'm uh, yeah, I'm in Alaska. I missed actually the last few days of the revival meeting, but thankfully I actually purchased some books um, from our evangelist, and I, I read one of them on the plane. It was just you know a short readable book. It took me about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. The prayer that makes a difference, and it was about his grandmother and how God really answered her prayers throughout her life, and it was just such a blessing, and it's a real simple, readable book, but I felt like I was there with you because I was continuing in the revival even though I've been away. Amen, amen. And I want to give a shout-out also to two really wonderful sisters who attend the Bible Baptist Church in Elmont, Long Island, Sister Jenna and Sister Lynn. And we had a wonderful pastor's fellowship there this past Tuesday. Evangelist Van Geldrum preached there, and we had a good group of pastors. And the dear ladies of Bible Baptist Church there in Elmont did such a great job. And they came up. Actually, I was talking, Micah, and one of them didn't even know my name. She said, I know your voice. She said, are you Pastor Recker? So she actually knew my voice as I was talking to someone. So that was really encouraging. And they listen to our program, and others do. So we, I say thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Lynn. 
And for those in Elmont, New York, or in that area, you're looking for a great church. Pastor Carl Lubin is a wonderful man of God and a great friend. And he leads Bible Baptist Church at 779 Elmont Road. And they're having revival meeting this week with the founding pastor of that church, Pastor Jim Barker. And so if anyone wants to go out, visit Bible Baptist Church in Elmont, Long Island. So, Micah, we're going to be tonight in Romans. And we have some very special guests on our panel. We have Dr. Esther Hahn. Dr. Hahn, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. Pastor. Yeah. You're always here, but not always there. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, thank you. And my wife is back, Sister Debbie. Hey. Good to have you. Thank you, my joy. <laughs> Amen. And we're going to talk tonight on the substitutionary death of Christ. What a great subject, especially on this day of June, because this is the very heart of the gospel. So let's talk about Jesus and him crucified tonight. And we're going to read Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. We'll go down to verse 11, and then Micah will lead us out in prayer. Micah, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Amen. 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 Dear Lord, we thank you for this time tonight to read your scripture and then dig deep into your holy word. I pray that you use this hour to do a mighty work in our lives and in the lives of all those listening to this program. Let us come out the other side of this conversation tonight with joy in you through yes. your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 So when we talk about the substitutionary death of Christ, we're simply saying that the Savior, Jesus Christ, took the place of the sinner so that we can stand saved, redeemed, and forgiven before God. And we're going to look at five great questions tonight regarding the substitutionary death of Christ. It's at the heart of this passage in Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, where it says Christ died for the ungodly. And then down in verse 8, Christ died for us. And what this means as well is that we deserve to die. We deserve the suffering the wrath of God that Jesus himself suffered in our place. And yes, we could say he suffered the equivalent of hell for us. Christ died for us. And there are many verses as well that speak of the substitutionary death of Christ. So as we start the program tonight, why don't we just go through some of the verses that speak of the substitutionary death of Christ. And notice, friends, as you listen for the preposition for, that Christ died for us in one way or another. Great. I'll start the list with Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Amen. 
Luke 22:20 says, "Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you." John 10 verse 11 says, "I Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep." First Corinthians 15:3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Amen. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Amen. Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Amen. Galatians 2.20, one of my all-time favorite scriptures. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. First Timothy two six, who gave himself a ransom for all. Amen. First Thessalonians five ten, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And first Peter chapter two and verse twenty one says Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And 1 Peter 4.1 Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. And the last one, 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And it, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'm sorry. Isn't, isn't it amazing just to hear those verses put all Amen. together? They're so powerful, and each one has a unique emphasis. But the, the truth and the fact is, is that the death of Christ, it's, it permeates the Scripture, his, this substitutionary death. And... And if you are a Muslim listening to our program tonight, and of course Islam teaches that Jesus did not die on the cross, there's no way, there's no way that man could have corrupted the Scripture to add the death of Christ into it. The substitutionary death of Christ is at the very heart of Scripture. And in fact, if you take it out of the Scripture, you don't have the Scripture any longer. Christ died for us. Our phone number is 929-333-3739. If you need prayer, if you want us to just help bear a burden that you have, maybe in your family, maybe with your health, maybe with your finances, or maybe for your sin, maybe you are just feeling extre- the extreme weight of sin tonight on your soul. Maybe in, you're in some temptation, or maybe you feel guilt for sin committed and you just want somebody to pray with you about that. Yes, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, will cleanse you from all sin. 
Call us now at 929-333-3739. So we're going to look at five questions tonight, and I'm just going to list them real fast. The first one is, who did Christ die for? The second is, when did Christ die? The third, what did Christ's death demonstrate? Four, what did his death accomplish? And five, what does Christ's death lead us to do? So first of all, we see who Christ died for. That's a great question. A very theologically debated question. But really, it's obvious from this text who he died for. Christ died, it says, while we were yet sinners. Amen. He died for us. So, so Deb, as I read this verse, that old saying, I have to say, comes to my mind. That old saying, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And when I'm reading Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, I, I just don't get that as a truth from this verse. Because it says here, when we were yet without strength. So, based on these verses, do you think, do you think that old saying is true? No, no, Pastor. So God helps those who help themselves. Um, that might be an appropriate thing to say to a, a daydreamer um, who's looking for a job. <laughs> and they don't want to uh, apply no, for one wanna, or go out to they're work. Hoping, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to salvation of eternal souls by faith in the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ, God does not save sinners who think they can save themselves. Uh, when Romans 5, 6 says we are without strength, It means we are helplessly weak in the spiritual realm. Uh, The words imply that someone is sick and about to die. Not physically, but as Jesus said in the first beatitude, poor in spirit. Sick and helpless in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we have to recognize that God saves those who know Their only hope is to fully trust Christ for all their help with salvation. Yeah, amen. And the way I look at it is God helps those who humble themselves and know that they are helpless to save themselves. We need a lot more help than what we think. Yeah, Pastor, I, I was thinking something similar. God helps the helpless and the hopeless. And before we were saved, you know, we didn't even know how hopeless we were. You know, only a God who exists outside of time could have ever looked down on us in our sorry state and known that those of us who would become believers would respond to the invitation of Jesus. And so while we were without strength, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die, to rise, to forgive us of our sin, and to give us the strength to accept his gift and then live for him. Amen. Yeah, and the thing is, the gospel does offend our pride because man does think they could do something and add and do some kind of work in to be accepted of God. But the gospel says there's no work that we can do to be accepted of God. Jesus Christ did the work in its entirety, mm-hmm. and we trust in him. We humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And so it says here, who did he die for? He died for those who were without strength. And then, Esther, we see in the second part of verse 6 that we are ungodly, that Christ died for the ungodly. So what does this say about our moral character? So as I was reading, um, the Greek words, at least for this study, for this program, um, actually really fascinated me. So the Greek word for ungodly is a 
it actually means totally bankrupt of any respect or reverence towards God. Ungodly describes those people in the days of Noah who were destroyed in the in the flood, as stated in Second Peter two. And then as as we bring it to today, present day, even today for New York City, ungodly people are those who are totally neglectful and depraved of moral or spiritual inclination toward God. One commentator actually described it as one with a moral character altogether repulsive to the eye of God. And we're seeing this attitude more and more today. A Pew Research study that was completed last Mm. year said that the number of people identifying as Christian in the U.S. decreased from close to 90% in the 1970s, so about 50 years ago, to about 65% today. That's stunning, yeah. That's really sad. And they also predicted, they had these four trends, and they said they predicted that this number would fall between 35 to under 50% by 2070 in the U.S. So we've already talked about it, but the ungodly truly cannot save themselves, but need a Savior. And may our hearts be really stirred to share the gospel of Jesus more and and more now. Amen. And for those of you who know Jesus out there, don't grow faint in your faith. Keep sharing the gospel. We can't stop. We cannot become followers of this culture that's turning away from God. We have to follow Jesus and become fishers of men. That word ungodly, like you said, Esther, it actually refers to people who came under the judgment of the flood and who were clearly not saved. Yes. So this shows us that Jesus did die for the unsaved. unsaved. And in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 7, I could put that on top of this, where it talks about how the heavens and earth, which are now, Second Peter 3, 7, by the same word are kept in store, that is, God keeps this world preserved, but it's reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Wow. So in, in a, the word ungodly is referring to those who are lost and will suffer the judgment of the lake of fire. And just to put that out there, the reason I'm saying this is because Calvinism, a system of salvation that many hold to, says that Jesus only died for the elect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do not get that from this text I get that he died for those without strength. He died for the ungodly. Yeah, Pastor. Um, it doesn't take any effort for us to see ungodly, immoral character around us all day, every day. You know, we read it in the news headlines, we turn on the television, or even just walk out of our houses onto the streets of New York. And while ungodliness is increasing, you know, according to that poll even that uh, Dr. Han just read, we have to remember that all of human history has seen this constant ebb and flow of ungodliness. And each generation mm. deals with the temptation yep. of the kingdoms of darkness. And for each of us, we can't forget that we were once living a life of ungodliness. So Romans 5, 6 is important to remember. Christ That's right. died That's for the us. ungodly. And that means <laughs> me. Yeah. Means, and uh, we're now believers. But it also means the wicked who are not yet believers. That's true, Micah, and that's a great reminder. We cannot forget where we came from, that we are that one so described. We are without strength. We are ungodly, and that's why we needed we need Jesus every day. So in the following few verses from Romans chapter 5 and 7, 8, and uh, through even through 10, Micah, there's a few other descriptions for the kinds of people for whom Christ died. So what do you find in those verses for whom Christ died? 
Yeah, well, there are two words in these verses describing those of whom Christ died for, and it's the word sinners and enemies. And Paul includes himself in that description, pre-salvation, using this inclusive word, we, he says in verse 8, while we were yet sinners. And then in verse 10, Paul says, when we were enemies. And the point Paul is making is that Christ went even beyond the idea of laying down one's life for his friends. Because he died for ungodly sinners, he died for his enemies. And we remember how Jesus on the cross asked his father to forgive the ones who were mocking him, who were torturing him, who were killing him. You know, and Paul is making the argument that while in rare cases a person would sacrifice their lives for another person, you know, you could think of a parent who might sacrifice their life for a child Mm. or a soldier for his country. It's almost unheard of, though, that a person would lay down their life for their enemy. And yet, that's exactly what Christ Jesus did because of his supernatural love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, would you die for someone who wanted to kill you? Jesus died for those who killed him. Would you die for someone who who just put a loved one of yours to death in some kind of murderous act? But Jesus died for sinners and he died for, as you, as we brought out these words, the, for those without strength, for the ungodly, for sinners, for enemies. He died for his enemies. And that's us. And I'm glad you emphasized that, Micah. It's not, we don't just point our finger to other people. We point our finger to ourselves and say, that was me. And but by the grace of God, there go I. And really, I was burdened, and I am burdened for our city today. I'm burdened for our nation tonight, dear friends. And, and maybe you were even out at, uh, at this parade today, but you came under conviction and you know that that was uh, just an ungodly demonstration of human pride that is an abomination to God. And God is working in your heart, repentance. And if, or, or maybe you're just struggling with something else, but you know that Jesus loves you, that He loves you so much. He died for you, though you were an ungodly enemy and sinner to Him. Give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We give you the hope of the gospel tonight that Jesus died for the rebels of this world, of which I am one. So give us a call, 929-333-3739. And as you give a call... Pick up your phone. We're going to go to a song right now. And I know this song. This song is uh, sung by Benjamin Everson. It is a one-man vocal orchestra. Believe it or not, it's going to be one man singing an a cappella refuge. And the song is Amazing Love. How can it be? Pursued. Amazing love 
Amazing love. Yes, thank How God beautiful. for Jesus. That is amazing. That is an amazing song. Micah, did you want to make a point to what we were just talking about? Yeah, well, before the song, we were talking about the idea that, you know, God died for sinners and enemies and how we were once those people. And I, I received an email about half an hour before the program began from, you know, one of our local politicians in New York, and she was lamenting that this was the one-year anniversary of the Roe versus Wade being struck down by the Supreme Court. You know, the Supreme Court, they decided that, you know, abortion was not legally protected on a federal level in the Constitution. And she was lamenting that in this email. She was saying how she was in Brooklyn and she was holding women as they cried for this fundamental right that their grandmothers had fought for. And, you know, my initial reaction is to say, this person writing this email is my enemy and they're a sinner. But how many of us believed in that or something like it? And then when the truth of Christ came into our lives, we then realized the truth, you know? So, so yeah. as we hear these kind of things and we view these people as sinners and enemies, we just have to remember that Christ died for them and that their lives and their views on things can be completely transformed as they are transformed by the blood of Christ. Amen. Yes, dear friend, this world is haunted by demons, disease, death. It's dotted with graveyards, prisons, hospitals. It's ruined by war, famine, pestilence, decay. All these are the products of sin. And yet Christ died for us. This passage also tells us when Christ died. So when did Christ die? So, Sister Debbie, according to verse 6, What's the answer to this question? Okay, Pastor. So Romans 5, 6 says, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
and in due time means it was the time of a fixed appointment. And I love this concept about God's timing uh, because I am often aware of God's timing of things in my own life. Mm. And um, in recognition of God's timing, you and I memorized uh, Psalm 31:15, which says, My times Amen. are in thy hand. And you even made me a wooden clock uh, wow. with these words I carved did. on it. I carved it <laughs> nice. So these, um, this concept is very special to me. Um, in Romans 5, 6, Paul writes, In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Mm. So Paul is explaining that it was a divine appointment on God's eternal calendar. Christ's death was not an accident. Uh, Paul also wrote in Galatians 4.4, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. So we see the New Testament teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ was born according to God's divine master plan, and he died on the exact day that was foreordained before God created the world. And also, miraculously, uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, Daniel the prophet predicts the year of Messiah's death in Daniel chapter 9. And so, uh, this means that in due time, that means there was a fixed appointment for the day Christ died. Amen. Micah, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I, you know, we, we don't, we'll never understand fully God's timing, um, but we do get glimpses of it in Scripture, as Sister Debbie was saying, you know, showing us how Christ's death and resurrection was perfectly timed. And as Debbie mentioned, you know, there's that very specific prophecy in the book of Daniel where it told us where the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem by the exact day. And Pastor, you preached a sermon on that, working it all out, showing us the math a few years ago as you were going through Daniel. And as far as the day and timing within the year of the crucifixion, you know, it fell perfectly on Passover. You know, Christ even died at that exact hour when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered for sacrifice. So there are just so many details that confirm for us God's perfect timing, and that those are just a few. Yeah. Amen. And and just to add to that, because I was also going to reference Daniel chapter 9, and I guess in our circle it would be impossible for us not to think mm-hmm. of how the atonement of Jesus Christ was divinely appointed. But it says in Daniel chapter 9, dear friends, that that the Messiah, the Prince, would come, and then it says that after the Messiah would be cut off, which is crucified, so after he was crucified, then that the temple and the sanctuary would be desolate. So in other words, Christ had to die in time before the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., So, dear Jewish friends out there, study Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 very carefully. And you'd have to agree, you'd have to submit and believe that the Messiah did need to suffer a substitutionary death on the cross for the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And He had to die before the temple was destroyed. And so that is so powerful and significant, isn't it? Mm. Christ died for Mm. us. So this passage of Scripture tells us when Christ would die. It tells us who Christ died for. And then we move on, Sister Esther. And in verse 8, we see what did Christ's death demonstrate. 
So based on Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and you could read that verse again if you like. Sure. What does Christ's death demonstrate to the world, and what does this mean to you? Well, it's interesting. This verse is something I remember about when in one of Sister Debbie's like pandemic Bible studies, she actually reviewed with us the Romans wrote. Yeah. And so this is one of the critical verses. So verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I will have to say, I didn't initially really understand what the word commendeth meant. And so as I was studying it, I was actually moved, though, when I actually did you know, understand it better. So commended, that Greek word is um, sunistomy, and it means showing, proving, establishing, or exhibiting. So God is exhibiting his love. Mm. And here's a quote from a commentator, Matthew Henry. Um, God not only proved or evidenced his love, but magnified it and made it illustrious. This circumstance did greatly magnify and advance his love, not only to put it past dispute, but rendered it the object of the greatest wonder and admiration. And then to go back to what we said about, you know, would you die for someone who wanted to kill you? Jesus said, I will do that, and it will be a wonder to you. Like, that's how much he loved us, and that really touched me. And that is great that you brought out that word, Dr. Hahn, commendeth, because that's also in the present tense, which is really quite amazing, because what that means is that the death Jesus accomplished once and for all proves his love for us yes. every minute of every day. Amen. In other words, his death once and for all is his love on display for us right now. Yes. We, we can know right now that Jesus loves us. You know, a lot of people doubt that. Yeah. Many mm-hmm. people wonder, does God really love me? And dear friends, I have great news for you. God loves you right now. And he showed it once and for all when he spread forth his hands to die on the cross. And if you want us to pray with you about that, again, give us a call at 929-333-3739. Brother Micah, would you like to add to that? Yeah, Pastor, I mean, you just mentioned that the commendus, that is a present tense. It's talking about in present tense. And, you know, so, so Christ you know, in the present tense is loving us. And then I love how then we are supposed to be loving others in the same way in the present tense. And Ephesians 5, 2 says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. So again, Jesus ultimate demonstration of his love to us was his sacrifice on the cross. And Paul, in Ephesians, he's expressing this by alluding to the animal sacrifice described specifically even in Genesis 8, you know, having a sweet savor, which is smelled by the Lord. And Paul is telling us that Christ's sacrificial love should be the model for our love toward one another. And then as we love one another, our love is like a sacrifice and an offering which wafts into heaven as a sweet fragrance to the Lord. And I just love that idea that what we're doing when we love each other is, is, is pictured in that way in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely, Micah. That is a great point because the bottom line is we were described earlier. You know, we were like enemies and sinners and without strength. We don't have that strength to even love one another and to show love to others. It's only as we're really loved with that agape that's divine love, sacrificial, unconditional love. 
that that ought give us the strength to fulfill the command, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't have the strength. It's only by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. There are so many verses, though, too, Dr. Hahn, aren't they, about God's love for us? What are some of your beloved verses or another verse that you love that references God's love for us? Oh, there is one from the Old Testament days of Jeremiah the prophet Um, God will draw us sinners to him because of his everlasting love. And that love spans space and time. So Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting, a forever love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So if you're feeling that draw or pull, you know, obey it and follow it. Amen. Uh, Micah, did you have a verse that you wanted to share there about God's love? Uh, you know, well, in, a, uh, in addition, I would say to that Ephesians verse I shared, um, you know, the whole first couple chapters of Hosea, it's not a specific verse, but it's yeah. a scripture where God's love for us is shown in that we were an adulterous wife. And he, instead of rejecting us and divorcing us, he actually went out and purchased us. He purchased our love even while we were an adulterous wife. And that picture is so powerful because it just it just shows us how no matter where we are in our lives before we have received Christ, you know God's love is more powerful than our sin. Amen. I love First John four nine. I just wanted to share this one. It says, "In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him." And so God's love is very practical. I think I mentioned to the church that I had this conversation with an educator on the on an airplane recently, and she said something that really kind of shocked me. She said the Bible wasn't relevant. And thinking of this verse is love is always relevant. And God's love for us is so high. I mean, it's hyper relevant because this says his love teaches us how to live, that we could walk in love and live in love. It says that we might live through him. And that's power. And so that means that I could love my wife as Christ loved the church, although I'll fail and fall sometimes, but that I could have a marriage that's going to endure the trials and the difficulties of life because there are many. And maybe you're going through struggles in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling loving your husband or loving your wife. Or maybe there's just people in church that you don't love. Actually, you feel like, I don't like that person at all. Well, you need to repent. And then you need to say, God, help your love to flow through me to others that I could live your love. And again, if you want us to encourage you with prayer, our phone lines are open. We have loving call screeners who will pray with you and and accept you right where you are and encourage you to be what God wants you to be. Give us a call at 929-333-3739. Okay, so we're we're good, okay? What, what we want to do now is go to this next question. What did Christ's death accomplish? And this is going to really be a question for all of us because in verses 9 through 11, there's some beautiful expressions that relate to what Christ death accomplished for us. So what are some of the phrases here? And we'll start, Michael, with you. What are some of the phrases in Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, that describe what Christ accomplished for us on the cross? Yeah, well, Paul says in the first part of 
Romans 5, 9, that we are justified by his blood. And I looked up that Greek word for by, and it is often translated in. So we could say that we are justified in his blood, mm. which evokes this very biblical idea of washing and coming forth uh, from that washing is clean. So this expression deals with our past sin. And as soon as we believed in Jesus Christ, we were declared righteous and added to God's book of life, spotless and clean. And all of this accomplished by Christ's finished work on the cross and specifically demonstrated by the shedding of his blood. Amen. That's great. That's a great point. And I just love that we're justified in or by his blood. Debbie, Romans chapter 5, 9 says something else Christ's death accomplished. Sure. So Romans 5, 9b says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And so uh, shall be saved from wrath deals with our future. Jesus saves believers from God's eternal wrath in the lake of fire. And if you use your imagination, you can see some similarities between the elements of punishment in hell and the circumstances of the crucifixion. The Lord Jesus Christ felt burning pain. Also, Jesus experienced separation from God when he died on the cross. Mm-hmm. And there was three hours of darkness. And as three is the number of completeness, we can see the three hours of darkness um, at the time of Jesus' death. That's a metaphor that teaches us the completeness of Christ's sufferings. We are saved from wrath through Jesus because Jesus suffered a horrible punishment for us. And I just want to encourage listeners that the only way you can pay for your own sins is to suffer in hell forever. And so tonight is the night to believe on Jesus and be saved. Amen. Yeah, and and we're going to have a prayer of salvation for anyone who needs to be saved tonight before this program is over. Brother Micah? Oh, just as uh, Sister Debbie was talking, I just thought, you know, there's so many people who say, well, I can't believe in a God of wrath. I can't believe in this God of the Old Testament or the God of the Bible. Well, that's why God offers us a way out. You know, he, he doesn't want his wrath to come on people. He wants to be able to save us, to reconcile us, to bring us to himself mm-hmm. and spare us from the wrath to come. Amen. And so what beautiful phrases of what Christ's death accomplished. We're justified by his blood. We're saved from wrath. And then we see another beautiful phrase, Dr. Hahn, in verse number 10. Yes, this third beautiful phrase um, is where Paul writes that Christ's work for us has reconciled us to God by the death of his son. The word reconcile means to transform a relationship from hatred to love. We were once enemies, as we already said. Now we are friends. God was once angry, but no longer. The word reconciled in verse 10 and the word atonement in verse 11 are actually the same Greek word, um, katalasso. This describes a restoration of a relationship a change from enmity to friendship, also to receive one into favor. So now how is our relationship with God reconciled? It's not by our prayers or our own works or religious deeds. It is the saving um, you know, work of Jesus. Amen. Right? He reconciled us by the death of his son Jesus on the cross. Praise the Lord. 
he reconciled us. And again, that, yeah, like you said, that focuses on that word that we talked about earlier, that, that we're enemies of his. And a final expression here in this passage of what Christ's death accomplished, and it's really quite an amazing statement, and it's also found in verse 10. It says, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his his life by his saved by his life so that is we're saved by the righteous life he lived because Jesus lived a life without any sin we're saved it says by his righteousness and then when we are saved he gives his righteousness fully over to us Amen. dear friends and it says we're saved by His life. And I love what First John says, this life was manifested. And John says we have seen it, we bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life. So we're saved by His life. What, what kind of life does He possess? Eternal life as well. So, I mean, just this one little statement is so profound. We're saved by His life. That it, We could say His present life. Right now, seated on the throne. Amen. Ever living, praying for us. Risen from the dead. We're saved by His resurrection life. We live because He died. His death pays for us, for ours. And we live because He ever lives. We're saved by His life. And we will live as long as Jesus lives. Amen. <laughs> and that's forever. We're saved by his life. So dear friends, uh, pastor. Yeah. yeah. I just, Oh, I was just going to add to that. You know, Jesus in the last supper, you know, he said, I'm, I'm here so you can have life abundant. So in his life, we have life abundant. And, you know, in some ways that idea can be kind of convicting to us. We, we look at our lives, Yes. And we assess our situation and we can say, you know, do I feel like I have life abundant? And if if the answer is not yes, then the question is, what is it that's holding us back? You know, because God has given us through the death of Jesus Christ, God has given us every opportunity to have this life abundant and have, you know, everything that he promises in the scripture. So if there's anything holding us back, sometimes that that idea can be a little bit convicting and we need to look at our situation and look at our lives and get rid of anything that's holding us back. Amen. So, dear friends, tonight we're talking about the substitutionary death of Christ. We're answering five questions, and we've done four of them. The first one was, who did Christ die for? And we looked at those different words. He died for those without strength and the ungodly and sinners. When did Christ die? He died in due time, according to the prophet's predictions. What did Christ's death demonstrate? It demonstrated infinite love that he shows us even to this moment. And then what did his death accomplish? And we just looked at these four beautiful phrases. It accomplishes a reconciliation, a saving from wrath, a justification by his blood, and that we're even saved by his life. Now, lastly, Micah, we want to answer this question. What now, because of all this, because of who he died for, when he died, what his love, his death demonstrates, and what it accomplishes, what does his death lead us to do? That's the last question. 
what does Christ's death lead us to do? What do you think according to verse 11, Micah? Well, when we started out as enemies of God and have been transformed into children of God and friends of God, then the response is joy. You know, Paul says that not only are we reconciled, not only are we saved, as if that weren't enough, but now we have a miraculous joy in God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And this is amazing because it fulfills a promise of God that we see throughout the Bible. There are all kinds of verses about joy flowing from our relationship with the Lord, and I'll just mention a few of them. You know, Isaiah said that when the Lord rescues his people, everlasting joy is upon their head. Nehemiah told the people of Israel that the joy of the Lord is their strength. And Jesus said that when when we are in right relationship with him, our joy may be full. And now, Paul doesn't mean that salvation brings 100% happiness, 100% of the time, of course not. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't his experience. He still faced trials and tribulations, but he faced them with the joy of the Lord. And anyone who bows the knee to the name of Jesus can have this joy as well. And I just uh, sometimes give a testimony and just say that, uh, you know, before I was walking with the Lord as an adult, um, you know, I don't think that I even knew that joy was something that I was missing in my life, you know. If I looked at the scriptures and read the Bible, you know, I could see the word joy all over it. But I don't even think that I quite knew what it was until about 12 years ago, you know, I I made the decision to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And then it was like an overwhelming sense of joy that came over me. And and I was surprised by it. You know, C.S. Lewis has a book called Surprised by Joy. And I was surprised by God's joy. Um it's different from happiness. You know, the, the life can be a roller coaster. You can have your ups and your downs and your happy times and your low times, maybe even depression or periods of depression. But there, but true joy supersedes all of that. It's not situational. It's something that we can have in Christ at all times, even when we're facing trials and tribulations, as Paul was. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And thank you for sharing that testimony. Um, and this word joy, it kind of reminds me of today. It it deals, it, it's also translated glory. It's actually translated glory in verse 3. Not only so, but we glory or we rejoice or we praise God even for tribulations. And the word is also translated praise. It's used, for example, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. That is, we have nothing in ourselves, to be proud about. And verse 31 says, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In other words, our joy, our praise, what we're proud in, for example, is what God has done and who God is, not who we are and not, we don't glory in what we are. We don't glory in what we have done. We glory in God. And I, I love Galatians as well. In chapter 6, it uses the same word where Paul says in Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's Amen. really what we're talking about here. It's the cross of Christ which is our praise. It's the cross of Christ that we are so thankful to God. And we are proud in our God. 
Amen. That He has provided a means for us to be forgiven and to have all of our unrighteousness washed away and to be accepted in His sight to enter heaven. And it really is heartbreaking that not only that people would say gay pride, but that Christians, people who, I I shouldn't say Christians because I don't know people's heart, but people who profess to be Christians, professing Christian churches also endorse this gay pride where it should, and I say this in love, but it should be a shame. It is a shame, the nudity and the perversion that I see on the streets. It breaks my heart. And then we even saw them marching down the street last night and they were saying, we're coming for your children. Oh, my goodness. And then this is endorsed by so-called Christians and churches. Debbie, we were talking earlier about a man we've known who was molested as a child. And it still bears a deep scar. And any adult, people grow into adulthood with the deep scars of sexual abuse. And Dear friends, we got to wake up what's going on here. They're coming after our children. They're telling us what they're trying to do. And they're showing us that there is a pedophilia agenda here to come after our children with all of these drag queen story hours. I know I'm going on a rant here, but all that to say is our pride, our glory, our praise is in the cross, dear friends. And For all this other stuff, we need to humble ourselves and we do need to teach our children the love of Jesus Christ. And we need to protect our children from the devious agenda that is being paraded openly in our streets. We're coming after your children. Okay. Pushed on us. You you want to make a comment about that? Anyone? Micah? Uh, yeah, I mean, Pastor, I agree with you, and it's it's there's two sides of the coin, and it's like the one side is these are enemy these are enemies and sinners, and we have to, you know, tell our children yeah. what their true identity is. Our, it's, it's it's all about identity. If their identity is rooted in who they are, who God created them to be in Jesus Christ, then they're not going to get mixed up in all this stuff. But yeah. on the flip side of the coin, you know, some in our church, you know, some in our body. Uh, maybe we're once at the gay pride parade, you know, maybe once we're marching right. down those streets so God can still save them. So at the same time, and I know this is your heart, Pastor, and all of our hearts, that we pray for these people who are sinners and enemies. And we want to pray right now as we close for anyone who needs Jesus. Call upon the Lord just now and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a guilty sinner and worthy of your wrath. But thank you, Jesus, you died on the cross and suffered the wrath in my place. And I believe in you that you died. I believe that you rose again and you're alive. Come into my heart, Lord. Save me for all eternity that I can be your child. Call on the Lord and give us a call right now if you've made that prayer. 929-333-3739. Good night. God bless you in Alaska, Micah. God bless you. Bye-bye.
Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and location, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith.